0: I know where most of you work and what you do, and I know that that probably is like the peak of adventure for a good 90% of you. (laughs) I mean, let's be honest. It doesn't take a lot of courage to uh, get up in the morning in most of your houses. It doesn't take a lot of courage to get to breakfast. It doesn't take a lot of courage to pour yourself a cup of coffee with or without a lid. I mean, it doesn't really take a lot. And for most of us, it doesn't take a lot of courage to get in the car. It doesn't take a lot of courage to drive the same road back out to the same place where we do business. It doesn't take a lot of courage to do your job. And it takes less courage to leave it, get in your car, come back home, and start all over again. It doesn't take a lot of courage to do a lot of those things. And we just consider ourselves these ordinary people living ordinary lives without a lot of courage, a lot of courageousness, a lot of adventure. <laughs> a, a normal, ordinary guy, by his own admission, Frank Hall, asked him, what are you? I'm just a normal, ordinary guy, have an ordinary job, live an ordinary life. And two years ago, September 27th, 2012, he was at his job, he's an assistant football coach and a study hall teacher. And as he's at, at the school... He is there in the middle of the lunch hour, and he hears two gunshots go off. And he looks, and he sees a student by the name of T.J. Lane has come in with a rifle and has shot two students. Frank Hall is a devout Christian, and as he looked back at the situation, he said, You know, I felt the hand of God at work in this entire scenario. He said, And I, I really can only attribute this to that. And he stood up, and he looked at him, and he said, Stop. Stop the student took the gun and pointed it at Frank and Frank realized that this could be the end real quick so he dove behind a soda machine he hears the gun go off he runs out from around the soda machine and the student has taken off down the hall now Frank's got a choice he's just been through training on what do you do when you have a shooter loose in the building and according to the rules He is supposed to take all the students into the kitchen, shove a refrigerator, whatever else he can, up against the door and barricade themselves in there. But Frank said, I couldn't leave him alone. He said, so I took off after him. He chased him to the school office where the student had leveled the rifle at a secretary whom he knew had four boys. And he said, I couldn't let let him take away their mother. And he said, I looked at him and I said, no. And the student was completely unnerved. that Anybody would stand up to him and he ran. The police caught him a couple hours later, just a few miles from the school, and they asked him, why did you run? Why did you stop? And he said, because Coach Hall was chasing me. And so he did. He stopped. Ordinary guy, ordinary life, ordinary faith. One day, something happened and it became this courageous, amazing faith. What is it that makes that happen? I want you to know as we go through this this morning, that the number one thing courageous faith requires is a difficult task. It's a difficult task. You cannot have courageous faith uh, in nine out of the ten types of things that we do. You know, it doesn't take courageous faith for me. I work at a church. It doesn't take courageous faith for me to come to church and share my faith with Jared because, you know, we're pretty sure that he's going to make it to, you know, the, uh, you know, the place we're all trying to make it. It did not take a lot of courageous faith to do that. Courageous faith requires something more. It requires an, ordi- or an, not an ordinary task, an extraordinary task, something that's harrowing and difficult and challenging. You see, our faith is tested by doubt and our courage is tested by fear. And you think, man, I'd love to have that kind of courageous faith. I'd love to have that kind of boldness. You've got to put yourself in a situation that would require it. You've got to put yourself in a place that requires courage and that requires faith. Because by definition, courage is overcoming fear. It's what it is. Courage is overcoming fear. Without fear, there is no courage. Fear is required before courage can show up. It doesn't take courage to drink your coffee or tie your shoes or start your car or put gas in the tank. You, know, you think you're always afraid. You think you're always afraid to share your faith. You think you're always afraid to do something for God. But the truth of the matter is, is that you're constantly being presented with opportunities to have courageous faith. Because it wouldn't be courageous faith if you weren't scared. It wouldn't be. It wouldn't be courageous faith if you weren't scared. Faith, the second definition I want to give you here is this. Faith is overcoming doubt. Without doubt, there is no need for faith. We call ourselves what? We call ourselves believers, right? Believers. If we weren't believers and we just knew it, like we knew everything, we would not call ourselves believers. We would call ourselves knowers. Okay? That's what we would be called. We would be called the knowers. Do you believe in Christ? No. I know. And that sounds good, but let's think about this for a second. Do you know that people come back from the dead after three days in the grave and they just sort of like show up and walk around? No, we don't know that because we don't see that happening. Yet we believe that. I believe that Christ came back from the dead after being in the grave Three days, and because I believe that, I believe that He has changed the world. I know that He has changed me, and I have great confidence that He can change you as well. But if it's not something that causes us to pause and ask questions or have a little bit of doubt, it's not faith. Faith requires doubt. Faith is overcoming doubt. And our story here, Joshua chapter 2, if you've got your Bible, flip over there. We're going to read about a woman who had extraordinary and courageous faith, that I would say is on the level of Frank Hall from Chardon, Ohio. I would say that Rahab is a woman of faith that we could all stand to model our lives after. And just like Frank, she is faced right here in chapter 2 with an extraordinary task, a very difficult and frightening situation. Let's look here at the text, Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. It says, Then Joshua, son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. Notice Joshua sends in secret. Verse 1, it says, They went, entered the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab, and spent the night there. The king of Jericho was told, Some Israelites have come here tonight to search out the land. There went the secret. Then the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come only to search out the whole land. But the woman took the two men and hid them. She said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they came from. And when it was time to close the gate, uh, at dark the men went out. Where the men went, I I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you can overtake them. She had, however, brought them up to the roof and hidden them with the stocks of flax that she had laid out on the roof. So the men pursued them on the way to the Jordan, as far as the fords. As soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. I I know that if you've been in church for a while, you've heard this story like 300 times. And I want you this morning to just, let's pause here. Let's not finish the story in our minds. Let's just pause right here and consider what's happened so far. All right? Rahab is a prostitute. That's what the text says. Uh, Her house was likely also an inn. And everybody that goes to church goes, what is it? with these israelite spies sent on a mission from god the first place they go is the house of a prostitute let's think about this for a second if you are a spy and you're going to take over a city you're going to want to go to some place where you're not going to be seen where people don't want to be seen or to see this is an ideal place for them to go hide this is an excellent place for them to go on the bad side of town the wrong side of town in some dark place and just lay low and see what they can figure out. This is an ideal place for them to be there. Rahab does not really know much about these men I suspect. She maybe has guessed that they're not from around here but where they're from and what they're about I suspect she has less of an idea. And So right here we see that Rahab is now faced with a situation She's got these men, these Israelites. And the text will go on to say that she has heard about them. And she's heard about their God. And in this moment, all of a sudden, the king's officers, the police, show up at her door and say, listen, we know that two men have come to your house. Where are they? Now, let's just put this in perspective. She is harboring the enemy. This would be on par of you taking al-Qaeda operatives into your house and hiding them in your closet when the federal agents come looking for them. This is what this would be equivalent to. Now this is frowned upon. Okay? It's frowned upon. We call it high treason. High treason through the years and centuries and decades and millennia has been frowned upon and usually punished pretty severely. <coughs> You commit treason in America, it's a capital offense. You commit treason in Jericho, I suspect they don't just say, hey, next time, maybe don't keep spies in your house. If we could do that, that'd be great. No, when you keep spies in your house, they put you to death, and they do it in a painful and a public way. This is what Rahab is facing. I suspect she's not normally on the good side of the law. So we've got this woman who lives on the wrong side of town, who doesn't have a great social net, probably did not have a lot of connections in high places, and all of a sudden the police show up, and they say, where are these men? And she's got a choice. Do I play it safe and just say, hey, listen, here they are, and why don't you make sure you take good care of me? Or does she say, no, I don't know where they are. I don't know where they are. And that's what she does. In that split second, this courageous faith rises up inside of her. And she says, no, I don't know where they are. She says this before she makes a deal. If you've been in church and you've heard this 300 times, you know how the story ends. She brokers a deal with the Israelites. And they say, all right, our life for your life. And and you can be safe. She doesn't know that when she makes a deal with these guys. She's just going out on faith. She's taking a chance. It's a risk. Was she afraid? I can't imagine she wasn't. But she believed in God more than she was afraid. And, church, let me tell you, that's what transforms our fear. Our fear is transformed when our faith in God is greater than our fear. And often, what makes that decision, whether your faith is greater than your fear, is one simple decision to act. The decision to act makes the difference. Are we going to act? And have faith that is greater than fear. Or are we going to allow our fear to win out? Rahab chooses faith. And in that moment, not only does she just, does her fear transform into her faith, but she is changed. This is that second point there in your bulletin. Without courageous faith, we remain who we are. But with courageous faith, we become who God calls us to be. Without courageous faith, you stay who you are, doing what you're doing. But with courageous faith, God gets a hold of you and does something amazing. Let's look through here the text, verse 8. Before they went to sleep, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the dread of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt in fear before you. Does that mean her? Yes, she is afraid of the God of the Israelites. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites that were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. As soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no courage left in any of us because of you. The Lord your God is indeed God in heaven above and on earth below. Now then, since I have dealt kindly with you, swear to me by the Lord that you in turn will deal kindly with my family. Give me a sign of good faith that you will spare my father and my mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. The men said to her, our lives for yours. If you do not tell this business of ours, then we will deal kindly and faithfully with you when the Lord gives us the land. It's right here that Rahab's life is changed. Before Courageous Faith, Rahab, the text says, is simply a prostitute. That's it. That's the descriptor. That's who Rahab is and how she's known. Without faith, Rahab was lost. Without faith, Rahab was defeated as part of the defeated city of Jericho. Without faith, Rahab was outcast. Without faith, Rahab was sinful. Without faith, Rahab was afraid. She was afraid that one day her luck and her looks were going to run out. And then what was going to happen to her? This is without faith. But with faith, everything changes. With faith, Rahab becomes a respectable and married woman. We know that because the text tells us. It goes to length as you get to the book of Ruth and then to the genealogy of Jesus to let us know that Rahab is a great-grandmother of King David and a great-great, exponentially-great-grandmother of Jesus Christ himself. Rahab is transformed. Salvation comes to her and to her family. Why? Because she had faith that was greater than her fear. And she joined with the fearless conquerors, the Israelites. Without faith, Frank Hall is an ordinary football coach, study hall teacher. With faith, he is a courageous man, a hero who saved a school. What about you? Without faith, what do you have? You have a coffee cup with no lid living a, a, a mediocre existence, having a boring job that you got to put your coffee right there on the edge, right by your computer to keep things interesting. Without faith, you do a me- mediocre job at parenting. Without faith, you sit there and you come to church and you go, I'm going to be like Christ today. And you go, oh, I'm going to be like Jesus. And you just like focus hard. And yet what happens without faith, you get out and you can't seem to make anything happen. You can't change yourself. You can't transform yourself. You can't resurrect yourself. You can't do any of those things without faith. But with faith, what happens? Things change. You have a job, maybe it's the same one, but you see that God is using it for His glory. With faith, you're guiding your family towards Christ. With faith, you start spending time with Jesus and you start to realize that the more you spend time with him, the more you become like him. And you start to think, Jesus is starting to rub off on me and I'm starting to change. Why? Because you have faith. With faith, you can look at sin and say, no. With faith, you can look at the opportunities that used to terrify you to share your faith and you can say, yes. Why? It's courageous faith that makes the difference. If you want to remain who you are, then say no to courageous faith. And say no to courageous faith by saying no to the opportunities that present themselves to you. You know what I'm talking about. We've been talking about sharing our faith. We spent all of January talking about walking across the room to somebody else. It takes no faith to get yourself a cup of coffee. It takes all the faith in the world to get a cup of coffee and walk across the room and engage somebody else for Christ. We all have those moments where we're like, I should say something, I should say something, I should say something. Oh, they're gone. I miss that. You know, we all have those moments. I should do something, I should do something. Oh, well, it's not the right time. I should do this. I should be this. I, sh- I should say that. I, I, all these things. And we just, I just, we passed it. We have all these opportunities that, that terrify us, and we say no to them, and we see that our faith remains stagnant. Why? Because we're not saying yes to the opportunities that, that allow our faith to transform our fear into the grace of God. You see, that's what courageous faith does. Courageous faith transforms our fear into God's grace. That's that last point there in your bulletin. Courageous faith transforms our fear into God's grace. Before Rahab was afraid, I'm confident of that, she was afraid of God. The text actually says that. She says, our hearts melted. They were afraid. She was afraid of the police. She was afraid of the Israelites. She was afraid. And yet her faith was greater than that. And when her faith overpowered her fear, what happened? God met her right there in that moment and brought salvation to her, into her family. Faith transforms our fear into God's grace. And, and the way that that happens is just that decision in those split seconds to say, you know what, God, I'm going to believe in you more than I'm going to be afraid. You read on in the text, and it's a long story, we won't get to it all. Um, but what they end up doing is, is Rahab lets them out the window at night so that nobody sees, and it's this red rope. and. And they say, listen, we're going to leave, and we're going to come back, and we're going to just level this town, and we're going to kill everybody here. I- if you do not put this red rope in your window as a sign of your faith, then all bets are off. And so Rahab takes this red rope that she's got, that she's let them down with, she puts it in her window, and it's a sign of the Israelites coming that, that she has faith. And if you followed along the text, like if you start reading in Genesis and you you read all the way through here to Joshua chapter 2, you'll notice that something interesting takes place here. It's that this is not the first time we've seen something red be put around a window or a door. It's actually the second time. The first time is Passover. Now, we we talk about Passover sort of like as a positive thing, but think about how terrifying Passover is that first night. Hey, kids, guess what? God is going to come and the death angel is going to be here tonight. And he's going to kill everybody that's firstborn. Sleep tight. <laughs> that's just sort of how that story went. But if we put blood over the door, he's going to pass over us. Sleep tight. You see, there's something about this. Both of these are terrifying nights. Rahab is letting these spies out. Should these pursuers come back? She is a dead woman. The Passover, God is coming over and he's going to wipe people out. It's terrifying. And yet there's this symbol of faith that is there. And those people that have faith, their faith transforms their fear into the grace of God. And at Passover, God's grace sets the slaves free. And at Jericho, God's grace purifies the land, redeems Rahab, and gives the nation of Israel a start there in the promised land. It is faith that transforms fear into grace. And so I challenge you, church, this week, that the next time you face a moment where you're afraid and you want to say yes to fear, don't do that. Say yes to faith. A- and watch God meet you in those moments, transforming your fear into marvelous acts and displays of His grace. Now, some of you are going, I- I'm not quite sure how I'm going to do that this week. We're going we're gonna to help you. We're going we're gonna to help you out this week. We've got a few things going on here that we've been leading up to. The first is this Kiss BG campaign. If you notice on the way in, there were some little Ziploc baggies. There's five Hershey's Kisses in there, and there's a little card that says, You've Been Kissed, uh, showing, God, showing God's love in a practical way. Uh, that's what that is. And then on the other side, it's got some information about the church. Uh, what we're challenging you to do is to give these out in the community. Um, maybe it's at your place of business. Maybe it's stores you go to. I'll tell you, I, I did this this week because I wanted you to know that I'm, I'm going to do this with you, okay? Uh, I tried it four times um and let me just tell you how they're fun you put these in your coat pocket if you put them like in your pants pocket they melt and that's that's gross you don't want to do that you keep them in your coat's pocket and it's cold so they don't melt and so i've got these in my coat's pocket and i feel them like and everywhere i go i'm like can i kiss you can i kiss you i'm not saying that out loud i'm saying that in my mind because otherwise i could be arrested so so I'm, i'm at different places i'm at the hospital this week and uh the receptionist is there and i needed a room number and i said uh I said, hey, hey, thanks a lot. Here's, here's a little something for you today. And she looked at it and she's like, oh, this is great. Thanks so much. And then I, I got up to the floor and there was a nurse there and she was wore out. And I was like, hey, you having a rough day? Here, A here, little chocolate helps everybody. And she's like, I don't eat chocolate. <laughs> All right. That's cool. <laughs> Me neither. That's why I'm giving it away. Um, and then I went to Walmart and this poor woman had been like pushing carts in and she was like ancient, and I felt for her, and I said, hey, a little something to brighten your day. I can't take things from people. (laughs) Okay, all right, so I'm like, I'm batting like, like one for three here. I'm feeling really bad, and then finally I go to the paint store, and this person had nothing to do because it's after all the people come in and like eat chocolate. So I said, do you like chocolate? You're looking forward to Valentine's Day. She's like, I don't care. I eat chocolate all year round. I said, well, that's funny. Our church is giving out chocolate to people so that way we can say we kissed them. And she's like, that sounds great. Where do you go to church? And it went really well. So, kiss BG. You're going to have wins and you're going to have losses and that's okay. Uh, that's great. But it's a chance for you to try it, and I'll tell you, it's, it's an incredible amount of fun to go out and try to look about and think about the ways that you can engage people uh, in the community. Maybe it's a place you work, and you can do something nice. Jared will have some ideas in a video we're going to show later. Uh, the second thing I want you to be aware of is that as we go through this entire series, we're calling this uh, Portrait of a Courageous Life, uh, Joshua. And we're looking, we're, we're reading the story of Joshua's courageous faith. But alongside of this, I don't want us to just read the story of Joshua's courageous faith. I want us to be writing stories of our courageous faith as well. And so if you notice when you came in, we had this red rope hanging down. We're calling that Rahab's rope. We're going to leave that up through the whole sermon series of Joshua, which is going to be several weeks and take us, I think, through uh, up to April. And as we go through this, what we would love for you to do is share with us how you're having courageous faith. Now, we don't want your name. We don't want, like gross amounts of details, we just, something simple. So maybe next week you come in and you say, you know, I, I, I did share my faith this week, or I actually tried KissBG this week, and I, I mean, I got slapped, but it was a good time. <laughs> and, you know, and you just put that on there, and you put that card, and you zip tie it to the rope, and, and what we want to do is be aware that each of us is writing a story of faith as well, and so we're going to leave that up, uh, so that way you can participate with this and share with us how you are writing uh, a courageous faith story of your own. Those are the challenges this week. Let's think about how we can be kissing Bowling Green in a healthy and uh, Christ-like way, and then also how we might be sharing our faith stories with each other and encouraging each other in that. That's the challenge, because when we are willing to take that step and move out on our faith, even in the midst of fear, we find that that faith transforms our fear into the grace of God, and I think you'll find that to be incredibly true and exciting in your life. Let me pray for you. Gracious Lord, we come to you now, and we confess that maybe we've been a little less like Rahab, and maybe we've not been as courageous as Joshua, but Lord, we would really like to be. And so, Lord, this week, would you transform our timidity and would you transform our fear into grace, into power? Lord, Lord would our faith in you be stronger than our fear? And when we say yes to the opportunities that you put before us, God, God would you meet us there so quickly that we don't even have time to, to second guess ourselves? We pray that you'd be at work in us through all these things. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Now some of you, uh, your courageous faith story is, is about to get started, hopefully. And you've never been baptized into Christ. And today, your courageous faith story would be to step out on faith and to receive Christ. And every week we give you an opportunity to respond to that. And this morning, if you do, we'll invite you to come forward. Um, others of you, perhaps God is working in you and you think, you know, I need to make a commitment, a courageous commitment to God in some way. Maybe the Spirit's put something on your heart and you need to share that with the church. We'll invite you to do that here too. Why don't you stand as we sing the song? Mm-hmm.